elders and deacons, ladies and gents, children of Christ. Today we will hear a message, for I have the pride, the privilege, nay, the pleasure of introducing a pastor sired by pastors, a pastor who can trace his lineage back to the rock. I first met him atop a mountain in Jerusalem, praying to God for forgiveness for the embarrassing number of threes he rained down upon a young LeBron's head in a street game. Next, I saw him saving souls from the enemy and sowing good seeds in the heartland. Then in Florida, he spent a year in silence just to better understand his parishioner's accent. Without further gilding the lily and no more ado, I, may I introduce to you Moses to Aaron, the man on fire, the 13th apostle, David Creek! This is week two of a series we began just last week called The Christian Music That Isn't Christian Music. And it's about many of the songs that have deep spiritual insights embedded in the lyrics of songs in the secular world that so oftentimes go completely unnoticed. And we began a week ago with that great Frank Sinatra song, All the Way. We're going to see another song here this morning. And it's by an artist whose name was Dan Fogelberg. Got a copy of his greatest hits album right here. And if you take a little bit of folk, a little bit of rock, a little bit of 70s, maybe early 80s country, mix it all together and you have a Fogelberg record. Well, in 1981, he wrote a song that appeared on a double album called The Innocent Age. And the name of this, this particular song was The Leader of the Band. And it's a tribute and a portrait to his father, Lawrence, who, who conducted a high school orchestra. One of the beautiful things about Leader of the Band is that it was one of the, the very last songs that his ailing father would ever hear just months before his death. An only child alone and wild, a cabinet maker's son. His hands were meant for different work And his heart was known to none He left his home and went his lone And solitary way And he gave to me a gift I know I never can repay A quiet man of music Denied a simpler fate He tried to be a soldier once But his music wouldn't wait He earned his love through discipline A thundering velvet hand His gentle means of sculpting souls Took me years to understand Leader of the band is tired and his eyes are growing old But his blood runs through my instrument and his song is in my soul My life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man I'm just a living legacy 
Obviously, it's not identical to what I'm going to be speaking about this morning, but, but every time that I hear this song, it eerily reminds me of the Apostle Peter and his experiences with Jesus. In fact, I'm at the point now where every time that I hear the leader of the band, I just imagine Simon Peter with an acoustic guitar in his hand almost. When I hear the melodies of that song, I think of our text this morning. And I just imagine him reminiscing on a life spent with Jesus about this cabinet maker's son who left home and went his lone and his solitary way. About this quiet man of music and his thundering velvet hand, that thundering velvet hand that had touched lepers that had given sight to the blind and silent sea storms as he extended it, and very soon is going to be imprinted with the blemish and with the scars of nails. And as he goes out on this lone and solitary way, very soon though he begins calling his disciples to himself, and among those disciples is a fisherman named Simon Barjona. And so he calls Simon Barjona to be not just a fisherman anymore, but to be a fisher for the souls of men. 
And so he begins following Jesus and they start turning the world upside down. And yet just as Peter begins getting used to living as Jesus' student and his understudy, his disciple, Jesus drops a bombshell on them in John chapter 14. They are there in the upper room and Jesus has just washed all of their feet. And then all of a sudden in John chapter 14, what Jesus says to his disciples is, I am going away soon. And when I go away in this instance, it's not going to be like all of those other instances where I just went off to a lonely place for a little bit of seclusion and, and you found out where I was. It's, you know, as he says, I'm going away, what he means is I am really going away this time. John chapter 14 and verse 25, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Then Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And then notice in verse 28 what, what Jesus says to his disciples and, and to Simon Peter is that you heard me say to you that I am going away and I will come to you. I mean, the apostles understandably have no idea what Jesus is talking about at this, this um, juncture. And yet as they hear these words, they are absolutely shocked and paralyzed. Where it's like the, the holy what? You're leaving us? You're going away? There's not going to be any more meals with you? There's not going to be any more times where we sit on a mountainside and we listen to you teach vast multitudes of people? There's not going to be any more miracle working. No more discussions at the sea. And I imagine as, as we find Peter sitting here listening to all of this unfold, I imagine where his mind is probably going to is all of the hardships that have befallen them in these past three years that, that, that Jesus has rescued them from. Now he, as well as all the others, are probably thinking that from now on, as hardships come their way, so we're not going to have your help anymore as we meet them, Jesus. And so Jesus is, is really explaining to them, no, 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 I'm not going away from you, but yes, I am going to go away. Verse 30, what he adds is that I, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world, Jesus says, is coming. And that is code for Gethsemane. That is code for Golgotha, the cross, the denials, and the betrayal. And ultimately, Jesus hanging his head and as he breathes his last on the cross. And so what we see there in the upper room, as well as in Gethsemane, and everything else which transpires after this, is, is that the leader of the band is tired. No, God the Father does not become faint or grow weary. And yet God, as Jesus, God as the Son, God as us, 
He is absolutely exhausted. He is world-weary, and the world is just about to do its absolute worst to him. And yet, having said that, though, Jesus is in tremendous luck because he has spent the last three years training all of these guys, but the most, you know, the greatest luminary in this group, the most prolific of his followers in a prominent sense, is the Apostle Peter. I mean, we find Peter's name mentioned more in the Gospels than, than any other person, with the exception of, of just Jesus. When we find lists of the followers of Jesus, of the apostles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, as well as in the book of Acts, we, we always find Simon Peter mentioned first. And yet Peter is also really by far the most enthusiastic of his followers, where he just has all of this energy and zeal. I mean, this is the kind of guy who makes stuff happen. This is the kind of guy who is the very first to arrive and the last to leave. I mean, it's a guy who literally physically walked on water. The only other person to ever do that, again, Jesus. And he's got the biggest heart among them, too. Or just a moment ago, as he is washing everybody's feet, he comes around to the Apostle Peter. And what Peter says is, Lord, this is not proper because I should be washing your feet. What Jesus says is, well, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no real part with me. And then, really, we see his heart as he says, well, if that's the case, Jesus, then don't just wash my feet, but also my head and my hands as well. And yet we also see how Peter is Jesus' number one student. I mean, who asked Jesus more questions in the Gospels than Simon Peter? I mean, he's like, like a six-year-old child asking mom and dad all these questions every five seconds. What does this mean? What does that mean? What is this and what is that? I mean, Peter wants to have a deeper, more complete understanding of who Jesus is and what the kingdom of heaven is more every five seconds. You see, he's so serious about following Jesus that when Jesus says, follow me, Peter quits his job. Peter moves out of his own house, goes away from his wife for three years so that he could follow Jesus wherever it is that he would take him. You see, it's not merely that he was one of the 12 apostles, disciples, but, but he was also a member of Jesus' very exclusive inner circle. And the very first name always mentioned in that inner circle, every time without fail, it's always Peter, and then James and John. And as Jesus meets him initially, he says, you know what, Simon Barjona is a nice name, but there are a lot of guys named Simon, and you're going to be very unique in this world, so I'm going to give you a nickname, Simon. And it's Peter. It means the rock. You see, Simon Peter was the original the rock long before Dwayne Johnson was. And what Jesus says to the rock is that, is that I am Jesus and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. That I am Jesus and upon you, I will construct my church. 
And now after three years of intensive on-the-job training, now Simon Peter is ready to take the world by force for Jesus, by storm. And yet having said that, though, he's, he really has something that is working against him in all of that. And that is that Peter is spectacularly human. He is spectacularly human. And really the words of the leader of the band that most resonate and most remind me of the Apostle Peter are, are the words in the chorus. Where I just imagine Peter later on in his life could have said something that, that was not a far cry from this. That my life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man. My life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man. And it's interesting how in the gospel accounts, how oftentimes late into the gospel books, Jesus is speaking to Peter but he's referring to him as Simon. He does not say Peter. He says, Simon, Simon. And you see, that is very, it's a very deliberate and intentional thing on Jesus's part because what Jesus is communicating to Peter is that right now, Peter, you are not acting like the rock, but rather you are reverting back to the old you, to who you used to be before I came into your life. And so Simon, I need you to be the rock again. In fact, the whole world, the whole human family needs you to be the rock again. And he is spectacularly flawed and spectacularly imperfect though, isn't he? I mean, if I could be blunt, the guy just has a very big mouth. And he's impetuous and, and he's, you know, he's just an absolute hothead where he makes these enormous lofty assurances to other people, promises that he cannot exactly make good on later on. Lord, I don't care what you just said. I am willing to go to jail with you. I, I'm willing to even go to the grave with you tonight. Jesus, you don't have any worries. I'm going to die with you tonight if I have to. And yet, what is that exact same Peter doing? Less than an hour later, he's snoozing in Gethsemane. Jesus says, could you not keep watch with me for even an hour? And he makes yet another promise to Jesus in that exact same evening when he says, Lord, I will never deny you. And what is that exact same Peter doing two or three hours later? He's denying Jesus, not once, not twice, but, but three times. I swear by the gold in the temple of Jerusalem, I have never even seen that man who you're speaking about, whatever his name happens to be. And as Jesus comes out of the room there in the courtyard, he locks eyes with, not Peter, but with Simon and we see Simon's soul shattered into a million pieces. Out of all of the apostles, and it's not even close, out of all of the other apostles, Jesus rebukes Simon Peter more than any of them, even more than Judas Iscariot. I mean, Jesus gets very, very tough with Simon Peter. Where on one occasion, there's a man who has a son who is captive to a demonic possession. 
And the man says to Jesus that your followers tried to drive him out of my son, but, but they were not able to. Jesus heaves a sigh of disgust and he just says out loud, Oh, faithless generation, how much longer shall I put up with you? And yes, he is saying that to all the other apostles, but you better believe he was looking at Peter as he said that. And I mean, if you're Peter, that is absolutely embarrassing to whiff and whiff and whiff trying to drive that demon out. And yet on another occasion on that night that I alluded to a moment ago, Peter has very, very good intentions and he does what a lot of people in the world, in the American church, try to do. They, they um, are rushing to Jesus' rescue and to his defense, but, but actually that's not what they're doing at all. Where he just whips out a sword as they start arresting Jesus and he cuts a guy's ear off. Now there is a Roman cohort in Gethsemane on this night. Roman cohorts routinely had 600 battle-ready Roman soldiers that were ready to throw down at a moment's notice. Peter, without a moment's notice, whips out a sword and tries to decapitate the servant of the high priest. And to his credit, he is making good on his promise. Lord, I will go to jail. I will even go to the grave with you. And knowing Peter, I, I almost want to believe that he is actually saying that I will take all 601 on you at once. If it means showing Jesus, Jesus, I am here with you no matter what. And yet Jesus rebukes him sharply though. And in front of all of Simon Peter's enemies at that, he says, put your sword away. For those who live by the sword will also die by the sword. Or as he would say, if it happened now in 2020, those who live by the gun are going to die by the gun. And so just imagine being Peter where Jesus is rebuking you right in front of all of your enemies. And again, if you are Peter, this is absolutely humiliating as it happens. Well, a long time after that, Peter now has lived many years after the fact. He's learned a lot. And yet we still see him reverting back to not, not Simon Peter, but to just Simon now. Where now the Gentiles have come into the Lord's church, but he begins isolating himself away from them. Well, the Apostle Paul hears about this, and he chews Peter out, and he spits him out in front of everybody who was there. And I mean, if you are Simon Peter, this is absolutely humiliating for this to, to unfold. And yet all of these rebukes put together are not as bad as the most ghastly of Jesus' rebukes of, of him, of Peter. Whereas he says to, to Jesus, Jesus, you're not going to get crucified. I will see to it that you will never go to that cross. And what, what he says to, to his disciple and to Peter is that, Peter, I know that you think that you are Jesus Christ in miniature. And yet actually you are Satan in the macro. He calls him Satan. He calls him the devil. And yet it's not just him though, is it? It's also me and it's also you. Where I can look back on so many times in my life where I just let golden opportunities slip through my, my um, hands and my fingers. 
All the times where I thought that I was saying to the world, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in me. But, but actually what it was, was behold Satan and the devil in me. I just remember so many times in my past where, where I horrifically, royally failed to show Jesus to a dying and to a dark world. So many times where I got in Jesus' way as I delivered a message perhaps. So many times where, where you and I reverted back to, to who we used to be before we started following Jesus. And I think the words of the song leader of the band resonate just as much with, with me, as well as you, as well as Peter. Where we can look at the Christian life and we can say that my life is such a poor attempt to imitate the man. And yet even though that is absolutely true, and absolutely so, even though it is absolutely true, Peter was not exactly a spinning image of the I am. I believe Peter was also able to actually say that, that no, I am not the I am. And yet I am just a living legacy to the leader of the band. And we fast forward many years after all of this has happened on that night. And we see Peter writing his last epistle, 2 Peter. And I mean, we don't even recognize Peter anymore. It's like, wait, that's Peter? Are you sure that's not another guy? Because, I mean, it, he's an entirely new individual now. Brand new Peter. Where he's got these wrinkles all over his face now. Bags underneath his eyes. He's got snowy white in his beard and on his head. And all of this arrogance that we were witness to in the gospel accounts, that, that has been completely replaced with this sense of humility in him now. All of that aggression and violence now has been replaced with this quiet, loving gentleness. All of that immaturity that we see over and over again in the gospel accounts, it's, it's no more. Now all that we witness in Peter is just this seasoned spiritual wisdom. Amen. Where it's like, yeah, once upon a time I was able to walk on water, but if Jesus stood right here in the water calling out to me, I would moonwalk on the water right now. You know, I used to think that I was the bell of the ball, but No. All that I am is a child in the loving arms of the Heavenly Father. Is a black sheep in the arms of the Great Shepherd. And again, the words of that song remind me of Jesus so much, as well as in his relationship with, with, with Peter as well as us. Where he looks back at Jesus and it's like his gentle means of sculpting souls took me years to understand, but now I understand it. You see, his blood is flowing in my instrument. I want to say the words correctly, but his, um, it says, but his blood runs through my instrument and his song is in my soul. You see, he, Jesus has given me a gift that, that I could never, ever repay, he's saying. And that is the gift of salvation. It is the gift of all of those horrible failures and mistakes being forgiven by Jesus. And yet greatest of all, 
that gift that he has given to me I can never repay is the presence of his Holy Spirit in me. His song is in my soul, he says, and the song of the Christian race is the music of the gospel of Jesus. It's a music of loving even our worst enemies and, and having compassion for those who are oppressed. Amen. You see, what we see in all of this is that it is absolutely inescapable that no matter how many years we have a faithfulness to Jesus, no matter how much knowledge we amass, we are going to fall flat on our faces, awkwardly trying to live like Jesus. And yet the good news is, is that that's just exactly who the leader of the band makes his most beautiful masterpieces and his music with. Where we look at Peter, even after committing all of these sins and mistakes along the way, and yet all that we really see is, wow, the Spirit is really at work in Peter now. Where he is the very first person to ever proclaim a risen Jesus to an enormous crowd of Jewish ears, and then later to us Gentiles. He was the very first to do it. As they drag him before rulers and magistrates, and they say, never speak about Jesus. What Simon Peter says is, I'm going to continue speaking about Jesus, and I don't care if it gets me killed. I mean, the guy wrote two epistles that we have in the scriptures. He even raised a woman from her grave and from the dead. And on one occasion, he was so closely entombed in the Holy Spirit that all these people who had infirmities were being healed left and right as just merely his shadow fell upon them as he walked into town. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't really sound like Simon anymore. That sounds like Jesus rolling into town right there in Peter. Now, all of these years later, we come to the very last day of Peter's life now. And now it's Peter who has grown very tired. It's Peter whose eyes now are growing old, and he is exhausted, and he is world-weary, and the world is just about to do its very worst to him. And again, I think about the words of leader of the band as I think about Peter. I just imagine him praying to Jesus, Lord, I thank you for the music and the stories of the road. I thank you for the freedom now that it's my time to go. I thank you for your kindness and the times that you got tough with me. And Jesus, I don't think that I said I love you nearly enough. And then he remembers how one of his last conversations that he had with Jesus on earth was Jesus saying, Simon, notice again, Simon, do you love me? And he asked him that question three times. And I wonder why Jesus asked Peter three times if, if he loved him. Hmm. You see, what, what Jesus is saying in the original language is, Peter, do you adore me? Do you cherish me more than life itself? And, and what how he responds to his question is, Lord, you know that I like you. Yeah, I like you, Jesus. I, I like you and you are a buddy of mine. You're just a friend of mine and a buddy. And yet I think what he's really saying to Jesus is, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to love you. 
I want to live a life faithfully for you, but I just keep getting in the way of that. I mean, Jesus, I just have so much growing up in you to do. And yet what the historical records record on that last day of Simon Peter's life is there's a historian whose name was Eusebius who, who said that they made Peter stand there and watch as they led Peter's wife away to be crucified on a cross. And at least according to the historical records of these historians, as Peter watched his wife being led away with a cross that, that she was about to die on, just like Jesus did, he starts calling out to his wife and he's saying, Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Well, after his wife had been crucified, now it's his turn to die on a cross. And no, this time there are not going to be any angels rescuing him. He's going into a grave this afternoon. And yet his last request was, when you crucify me, crucify me upside down. Because I'm not worthy to be crucified in the way that my Lord was. And so he's crucified upside down according to history. Now, he very well may not have actually said, Lord, I love you. But however many hours he spent dying and suffocating on that cross... His actions were screaming to the heavens, Lord, I adore you. I agape you. I love you now, Father. Yes, God is much more concerned with our present and our future than he is about our past. And, and, and yet what really the most beautiful thing about Peter is to me was, was what he said to, to Jesus as he initially asked him to be his follower. And that's just, he just kind of backs away from Jesus and he says, Lord, go away from me, Lord. He says, I am a sinful man. I don't belong with you. I mean, I'm not even worthy to be standing here having a conversation with you. And that seems true about us as people, but it's not the way Jesus sees it, fortunately. <laughs> I mean, yes, Simon Peter failed over and over and over again, but he was still the rock Jesus built his church upon. You and I sin and we stumble and we shrink, but we're still the light of the world, a city set upon a hill, stars brightly shining in the midst of a dark and a corrupt generation. And so what Jesus is inviting us to in the days ahead is just simply this. Don't condemn yourself every time you make a mistake. Yes, learn from all of the mistakes that we will make. And yes, feel heartbroken when we actually sin against God. But when we make a mistake, don't condemn yourself for that. Secondly, what I believe he is inviting us to this morning is Stop trying to be the conductor. Stop even trying to be leaders. Jesus said in one instance, there is one leader and you're looking at him. His name is me, Jesus. Don't be the conductor, but rather just like Simon Peter did, just be a living legacy to the leader of the band. And that's because in this pasture, we are all black sheep. There are no other kind than black sheep. 
Fogelberg, he told a story about one of his most cherished memories of his father, Lawrence. It was when he was four years old and his father let him conduct that high school orchestra one night. And so here is Fogelberg at just four years old. He's got a little baton in his hand. He has no idea what he's doing besides just waving his arms back and forth, back and forth, with his father standing behind him, really conducting it, beaming ear to ear. And yet what he said about that memory was that it was such an amazing feeling. It was so musical and it was powerful, knowing that as long as my father stood there with me as I led, I, I had no fear and I was fearless. And you see, that is Peter as Jesus goes away and, and the Holy Spirit comes in and, and, he, and he conducts the orchestra with, with Jesus standing right there behind him. That is you and that's, that's me as well as the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us just as much, giving us a reason and a purpose every morning that our, our feet hit the floor. You see, Jesus it has gone away long ago, but He is with us. You see, our lives are a poor attempt to imitate the man. And yet, we're just the living legacies of the leader of the band. It's not a Christian song. And yet, then again, it is. It is. 